You're listening to Not Another Origin Story, the comic book movie podcast. I'm your host, Pogues, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ben Chapman. Pogues, it's uh, it's fantastic to be here. You know, I, I love doing this episode, doing these episodes with you. I like being on this podcast, and, uh, uh, well, I got a reveal for you. Um, you know the microphone that you use to record our podcast with? Yes, I do know it. Take a look down. Notice it's missing? Ha <laughs> ha! Heisted! I heisted you! Um, I think, um, I think you might have broken into somebody else's house. Oh. I mean, I mean, this, this microphone is a little more higher quality than the microphone. You, yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't think you drove all the way to Ohio. Yeah, I only kind of went downtown. Oh, I think I have Chance the Rapper's studio microphone. That's a problem. Right, oh. That's, that's a problem that turns into an opportunity. eBay. Oh, uh, Yeah. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Uh, well, never mind. Does Chance the Rapper live in Chicago? Uh, yes, he does. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> Just uh, curious. Fun, uh, f- fun story. Uh, when we had a bit of a scare about an alligator in our lake, which sounds funny now in comparison to world events. Um, last summer's big huzzah was that we had an alligator in our park's lake uh, we, that everyone uh, named Chance the Snapper. Mm. Um when talking about it at work, my uh, my boss, who was a much much older woman compared to me, uh, informed us as we were talking about it. She asked, "Hey, where's the name Chance the Snapper come from?" And I said, "Oh, well, I'm trying to think like how far back do I need to go?" Oh, well, there's this uh, this uh, rap artist named Chance. And she goes, "No, I know who Chance the Rapper is. He lives above me." <laughs> and everyone was like, "Stop! Hold on!" <laughs> Don't care about the alligator. Tell us more about living adjacent to well, the most popular. <laughs> but here's my question. If Chance the Rapper lives above her, how can she not figure out where the name Chance the Snapper came from? <laughs> a, a, a perfectly, a perfectly, I, I guess, I guess the wordplay was the confusing part of that for her. Or was she but... just trying to set up that Chance the Rapper lives above her and she was trying to figure out a way to bring it up without sounding like she was bragging? <laughs> It could be. It could be either. You know either, what? Forget I, this podcast. I've got questions. We're starting a new one, all about your boss. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why she was saving that excellent anecdote for that moment, but uh, it was just really amusing. Amusing kind of events. Anyway, we're here not to talk about the alligator, which is now safely in Florida, by the way. Uh, no, it's in Florida, or... so it ain't that safe. <laughs> it's probably already been killed in some History Channel swap people show. Um. Or. Um. Uh, or it's a running for Congress. <laughs> you didn't think you were getting any politics in this comic book podcast, and pray you don't get any more, because we're here to talk about a, a wholly unpolitical movie, Ant Man. Mm hmm. The antiest of men. Although it starts a little political. That's true. Uh, yeah. Know, it... Hank Pym refusing to turn over his uh, technology to. A guy who was clearly corrupt, like, Jesus Christ, I know it was supposed to be, like, the 70s, but nobody walking into that room wasn't like, I think this guy works for Russia. Like, the dude he punches is so clearly evil. Yeah, I I, I suppose war profiteering is, you know, inherently political to some degree. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's that's an undercurrent to uh, a complicated story uh, about the origin of... A re- reimagining the second origin of a character that we find out existed before but never heard about until just now and also a heist and also a daughter reconnecting and i'm making this sound bad but i enjoyed myself yeah this is this is sort of an interesting well i don't know if it's interesting but ant-man Our whole lives are interesting. In, in the comics is hank pym dr hank pym um his wife whose name i believe is wanda um, I forget what her name is before she marries him, but she's the Wasp. Van Dyne? Yeah, Van Dyne, yeah. Uh, and in the comics, she's like a, uh, like a socialite. Like, she's the woman from Breakfast at Tiffany's. So I'm just trying to use references no one will get. <laughs> no one yeah, listening to it. our podcast about it's comics. I'm sure you guys nailing it so far. Yeah, really, really killing right? it so far. Yeah. But she's like a socialite in the comics. And then at some point in time in the comics... They introduced a new Ant-Man, Scott Lang. And I was kind of surprised when this movie came out that they went with the Scott Lang Ant-Man. 
that I was like, oh, they're not going to do the original because, you know, like all the other movies, so up to this point, uh, we're all like the original character. You know, it's, it's Steve Rogers, it's uh, Tony Stark. They're the original versions of their characters. Some of them have been replaced over time or whatever. So I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. They're going to go with Scott Lang. And I was like, that probably works better because Scott Lang's more of like a Spider-Man-y, like making jokes kind of guy. And then when they were like, oh, but Hank Pym will be in it. I was like, oh, that's even more interesting that they're going to sort of tie in that Hank Pym sort of exists in the 70s world that is like the pre-Avengers world, which is like when the Avengers were the Avengers in the comics. You know, the 70s is when they brought back Captain America and the Avengers formed and everything. So I found that kind of interesting that they would, you know, do sort of a shift in the character choice. Yeah, because uh, the the original um, or or the the original origin story for uh, Scott Lang in the comics is not too dissimilar from the film. No, He's no, a thief. not that far off. The the biggest thing they drop, which I think may have been a good call, is that his his impetus for wanting to uh, 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 convince scientists to help him slash get the money. Uh, that he needs uh, is because his daughter is dying of uh, like a degenerative disease. So, I mean, probably something good, maybe not to like weigh this film down with. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, that's like the story for like every tragic villain created in the nineties. Yes. They always have like an estranged child who's ill, a wife who's ill. They're always doing something to try to be like, see, he's not that bad of a person. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh we, we just talked about it in the in the Batman and Robin film mm-hmm. with uh Mr. F- Mr. Freeze. Yeah, I wonder uh, if that's sort of when it kicked off was like the re-advent of uh, Mr. Freeze in the cartoon if people were like, "Oh, that's like a good way to turn a villain into a good guy as if like a relative's ill." Cuz everybody would be like, "Yeah, now I get it. It's okay to be a criminal when you're trying to save a woman with McGregor syndrome." That was the disease she had in the movie. <laughs> I recall. It's probably in my notes. Stage four. Um, yeah, but stage one kills you. So I don't know. <laughs> it's his wife. A miracle of science. But but it's it, the, the orientation of this film is interesting. Just to be clear up front, as I always have to be, because, you know, we're obviously going to spend time talking about things that were less than ideal about the film, because that's where the real meat is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I particularly enjoyed myself rewatching Ant-Man. I, thought, I remember when I originally saw it, I felt it... I felt that it was rather inconsequential, probably because I was just coming off of a lot of the other big, big Marvel movies. Um, But now watching it, having seen as big as they could get, I really actually kind of enjoyed time spent on character growth and comedic scenes in like in the quiet and other things done. Where not every moment, like watching Endgame, like every moment is like taxing yeah i've been unable to taxing yes game Mm -hmm. because i'm just like i don't know if i want to go through that entire thing again like it's it's a long movie it's very emotionally like you're so invested in the characters i'm like i don't know if i want to sit through it again but yeah i enjoy this movie to me this movie's sort of like uh like a bowl of like vanilla ice cream it's good and you enjoy it but like it's not as good as ice cream can be (laughs) that makes sense <laughs> like you know you're uh, like oh i'll take harsh it. yeah I'll, I'll take it with a piece of pie or a whatever. harsher take than i would have on the film but, but i I'm do understand I what it. you mean yeah like i do I, understand I, what you mean yeah i quite enjoyed it i i in the mini episode i brought up that i enjoy this movie i think it's better than the sequel um when I people find it to be a good movie it's just not like you you don't watch and you're like holy shit did you see ant-man you're like hey did you see ant-man it was pretty good yeah, yeah, very much so. And when people, but I think it's unfair when people talk about the MCU and uh, talk about the success of it. They often will bring up occasionally some of the like the less successful films. And of course, everyone mentions Thor: Dark World. I think uh, not enough people mention Age of Ultron, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people often throw Ant Man in there, like, oh, it's just like a kind of a nothing, kind of a blip. But I, I think that's way too harsh of a take on this movie because um, we talked about this in another. Uh, uh, podcast uh, episode, which is that a lot of the MCU directors, or even just in general, a lot of the superhero movies, full stop directors, realize that a superhero movie that was exclusively about a superhero doing superhero things isn't interesting on its own, especially after having been done so many times, which is why like movies like Logan 
blend in the Western and movies like Ant-Man blend in the heist and, you know, that kind of thing gets uh, pulled in or some movies blend in horror or whatever it may be. Um, uh, that, I think, is successful and I think it works here even if the heists are diet heists. Oh, yeah. The, the, to call this movie a heist film would be a stretch of the word heist film, which is already kind of a stretch of the word heist. <laughs> I mean, like, their, their big, like, twist is just like, this is going to happen. There's no, like, real, like, good double cross or... I mean, the double cross is actually the villain. The good guys don't even get, like, a decent yeah. double cross, really. Another classic heist sequence is that you have multiple things going wrong. They have an occasional thing go wrong, but mostly, mostly inconsequential things go wrong. Uh, additionally, there's that moment where they haven't quite given you every part of the plan. By they, I mean, like, the yeah. movie hasn't given yeah, you the yeah, audience that part the whole plan. Yeah, at the end. Yeah, well, Ocean's uh, Eleven, when you realize they're the cops. Oh. They're the SWAT team. That kind of thing. Uh, there isn't a moment like that. There's, they're missing a lot of classic heist elements. Um, but they do provide a really good supporting cast. Uh, because right after that intro sequence that we were talking about uh, a little bit ago, um, we are introduced to someone doing a lot of the heavy lifting in almost every scene he is, which is Luis. Yes. Uh, Michael Peña. Who, 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 in a way, a, I think, if the movie had just been... <laughs> Scott vehicle. Lang and Luis just living in an apartment and it had been like a buddy comedy think I would have still just enjoyed it he's, he's like so good in this role like he's just so funny at being like this awkward uh I don't even know how to describe it, but I mean he's just so funny in it he's so affable and he, you, you're not even you can't really even predict his performance in every scene like I like when he's talking about doing whistling to remain incognito and they yes. tell him no and he's just got he, he continues to have a big stupid grin on his face as if to say i'll whistle anyway and yeah. then later on he's he whistling <laughs> you know just like stuff like that he's he's uh he's just like unflappable and affable and yeah, when just, he, it, he knocks that one guy yeah. out and he's like that's what we call in the when um the i can't think of the what's the woman's name holy crap how did i just forget her name oh uh hope hope yeah she walks up and he's like, "That's what you. That's what we call uh, a various situation where there's no time for joking." <laughs> like, <laughs> Profes- like, a professional. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. like the way he switches gears is so funny. And then like when they first show up and he's acting all weird when he's in their house and she's like, "You know, he got arrested for stealing a slushy machine," and he's like, two, two slushy, slushy machines." machines. <laughs> Not at all like trying to explain how it wasn't yeah. his fault. He got caught. Or it was like a really just no, there was two of them. Like not he is, justifying any other part of the heist. He he is he, he stands out. I mean the other the other members of the of the group do well. They're, they're all right, um, but that guy's Russian accent is egregious, though. Ti is really enjoyable. Yes, uh, yes. David uh, Des, Des Malkian, I think is how you pronounce his name. Really intense last name. Uh, also uh, coming up in another superhero movie, by the way. <laughs> He's playing Polka Dot Man uh, in the Suicide Squad reboot. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just a side note that we cannot get into right now because it will take over the episode. Um, <laughs> but yeah, his his Russian accent is bizarre. And well, his just, hacking it's, it's, it's is about horrible. as deep. It's just like a yeah. really bad, like it's like he's um, the guy from Rocky and Bullwinkle. I don't remember what his name it's the, was. It's the way someone in an improv troupe would do a Russian accent if you suddenly dropped it on them in the middle of an of a of a show. Like it's like quickly like do that R thing and that's it. Like yeah, that's your the whole, whole time whole Russian when accent. I first saw this movie. I remember when they first he started talking to his Russian. I was like, oh, this is weird. Why does he have this Russian accent? And then he kept talking. I was like, oh, this is a terrible Russian accent. And I was like, oh, the bit's gonna be like later. Something's going to happen, he's going to be surprised, he's going to drop it, and he'll have, like, a Jersey accent or something. And the joke will be he thinks having a Russian accent makes him seem, like, mysterious. And I was like, so the whole movie, the first time I saw it, every time he was in a scene, I was like, here it comes. When they were in that house, I was like, this is going to be it. She's going to be like, you know he's just from Hoboken, right? You know, and that was going to be the yeah. bit. Yeah. It never happened. So he just has this dumb Russian accent the entire movie. And I really, He like, does feel... He does feel underbaked as a yeah. character in this movie. Like, he doesn't really have a, a, a... And no reason for him to be Russian. It, it never no. comes up. So there's no reason to have a character doing an absurd accent just to be like, he's got an absurd accent. Like He might as yeah. well have just been doing the Austin Powers voice. It wouldn't, you know what I mean? 
That part I was just very confused by. But yeah, I do like three of them together. I think they're funny. Yeah, when they're when they're pulling off their their job at um their job at at Pim's house. Yeah, I do like the sort of trio in action. Um which which is a, a really uh it's a really good scene because I like that it, it, this movie does take the time to show you, hey, Scott is goofy, but he's not bad. He comes with skills. Like yes. to see him like vault and climb and like reroute a circuit while like perched on a ledge like it, it proves that he's like a lot of times you'll meet a character who's complete who's like me just like just like ben who works at a, in an office job is told hey you're gonna have to like do this superhero-y thing and then that person moments later is doing like a good punch like i can't yeah. do a good punch you, you have to show me how to do a good punch which they do have in here but the fact that he's able to do like flips and as well as sort of get his mind around a lot of the tech of the suit that is all laid out nice and nice and nice and yeah, clean yeah. foundation. Yeah, yeah, they build up that like he is actually very intelligent. He knows how to hack. He knows how to like bypass computer systems. And but they also are like, I like sort of the stuff they set up where it's like his crime that he got arrested for was he was a whistleblower and they covered it up and fired him. And so he just went back in and broke into the system and basically took all the money the people stole and just gave it back to the people they stole it from and then posted all the transactions online so that everybody could see they had been stealing. But he got arrested for that because you can't break into places <laughs> even when you're doing it altruistically. So I like that they kind of set that up and he makes the delineation between like, uh, I didn't I didn't rob them because robbing implies uh, yes. <laughs> force. He said, I burgled them. I'm a cat burglar. Like, and there's good stuff like that where I feel like they make a good job of, like you said, because sometimes there are these movies, or like the person, they'll they'll introduce a character and he'll be like so absurdly like goofy that you're like, I, I can't buy that he could have had the job that he would have, you know what I mean? Like, right, Scott right. Lang isn't goofy enough where you're like, well, he couldn't have worked for like an exchange company. Like, that would be insane, you know? He's, he's professional enough that he could do it. You could see him working at like any normal job and being okay. Speaking of normal job, uh, we visit Scott Lang as Baskin Robbins employee. Yeah, briefly I wonder at the start how much Baskin Robbins paid for that plug. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't think they were doing well enough to pay a lot of money. It's a good bit, though. Oh, like, it's watch great. It. it reminds me of the KFC sort of plug in Community. Like the idea that a company is just like, yeah, whatever, make us the butt of a joke. Just don't say our products are bad. And so, like, you know, the idea is like when they uh, when he comes back in, he's like, they found out, and he's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's like. Basket Robin always, always finds out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's 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 well written comedy is is the most impressive part because if you were to dissect the different parts of this film, you could probably find lots of um, plot holes um, in some yeah. of the yeah, attempts this... at attempts at like superhero science and disbelief and that. There's a lot of stuff that you could probably poke holes in, but I don't know if I read anyone who who tried to to argue that this movie wasn't funny. Because when it when it wants to be funny, it's funny. It also does something that, uh, like my, if you guys listen to our Thor Ragnarok episode, my complaint with that movie was one half of it is like a really funny, fun movie, and the other half is about a woman having people executed in the streets of Asgard. Right. So it's yes, like, it's like it's like one half is like the producers, and the other half Schindler's List. And you're like, there's your movie, and it's like it doesn't. To me, that doesn't work. You can't, you can't fluctuate from one extreme to the other because you're undercutting one of them. Either the laughs are no longer funny because you just saw horror, or your attempts to make somebody evil and bad fail because the scene yeah. right before it was like a slapstick Benny Hill joke. And this movie has a more even keel because it focuses on setting up stakes, but yes. otherwise, and it also being manages to like, comical. Like, his interaction when he goes to see his daughter's birthday party. It doesn't go into this, like, super deep, like, you don't understand. You know, like, they don't go super deep into, like, the emotion of him being like, I just want to see my daughter. You know, there's not, like, this real tear-wrenching. He's just like, come on, you can't do this. And she's, and, you know, they kind of lay it out. And they set up the situation which facilitates the rest of the movie. And I like that because, you know, they could have done that part super over the top. And it could have just been really weird. Um, speaking of really weird, uh, a note I had taken because it, it kind of just, I thought it was really clever and I think it's a totally very good way to set up your villain as a villain. The goo gun is 
upsetting pose. It's real gross. I, I don't. It 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 it's it, it kicks off something profoundly unsettling in my core to watch to watch him laser a man, disintegrating him into a little blob and then wiping it up with a paper towel. That's that's it, fucking, it's also gross because it gets on his hand. It's really twisted and they, it's played off like a bit, but it, it's one of the times where I was like, oh shit! I mean, I mean it, but in another way. Very clever because if your if your attempts to shrink things only turn living matter into a tiny pile of disposable goo, yes, you failed to replicate Pym's technology, but yes, you created an extremely effective weapon. Yeah, one that kills and disposes the body. Yes, <laughs> that's that's a pretty good gun. You could yeah, just I stop feel like there. You could have sold that Cross. for more money. Mm-hmm. Like really trying to sell people on the idea that I can give you a suit that makes you tiny and have little lasers. It's probably harder pull than like, hey, this gun makes no noise. <laughs> it, it takes no ammunition. It leaves no traceable ammunition, um, and it disintegrates your target into an imperceptible like uh, pile of matter that is only about the size of like uh, a, a bit of spilled soup. Uh, yeah. So I, that's that's a much easier like sale to the cash. government. <laughs> What what a terrifying assassination weapon that you could actually utilize with relative effectiveness. It upsets me to think about yeah, it. Actually. Yeah, because I mean, like, we've all heard, well, I'm, I'm sure we haven't all heard it, but there's a, an expression among the police force, no body, no crime. If you can't <laughs> find a body, it's really hard to prosecute somebody because you have no proof that the person that you, they, you say they killed is dead. They could just be missing. They could have just disappeared. So it's, like, really hard. So it'd be a perfect murder weapon. I feel but like I had to highlight. I had to highlight Goo Gun because it was upsetting. But let's talk more about the villain. I found the villain serviceable, but boring. Uh, serviceable, um, but I feel like they they he's I think truly the only like real misfire in this movie. Like the one part where you're just like, oh, this is kind of silly. His like over the top kind of like generic rich bald white guy villain sort of thing he's got going on like i'm a ceo who doesn't care about doing the right thing i it it was the thing that made it confusing is is it just seems like he's really obsessed with figuring out the pin particle why does he have to be evil and then later they're like it's the particles it's altering your brain chemistry is so just being near it yeah they 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 fucking dip that in there and then abandon it um, yeah, which is bizarre really because because at best he's been around it like, like let's say he's shrinking every day since he's discovered it it's been like two weeks hank pym says he wore it for like 10 years Shouldn't right he have been an insane person he, uh, he mentioned and hank pym, insane. hank pym mentions a toll taken on himself which is why he yes. can't be in the suit which again also not explained in any further detail no no which i was like are they is he gonna explain that like eventually if he keeps going in it'll be like you know uh the end of pacific rim like uh he can only go in one more time oh yeah <laughs> and arbitrary until like he's fine the entire time he's in the suit he really seems to have no problem that blows him if you go in one more time you will you will you will you will be uh, uh accosted with 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 mcguffin syndrome yeah. <laughs> and he won't and he won't he won't return yeah it's a little it's a little hokey why the villain is the villain why the Pre, the pre-existing hero can't be the hero anymore, which I think is a little bit of a disservice to Hank Pym because, well, I don't, I like that it's a handoff movie. I, I wish I could know more. I mean, I think the the the, the tragedy of his wife's disappearance. I'm going to call it disappearance because we know what happens. Um, oh, the tragedy of spoilers, Ben, of his wife's disappearance. That almost could be a better excuse why he's not able to wear the suit again. Just trauma, you know. Yeah. Not not, yeah. not some mysterious superhero condition. Uh, from shrinking yeah, like, too like much. If, if he had like put it on at one point and like they show him, he's like getting ready to push the button and his hands are like shaking and it's just like he can't do it. Like he can't do yeah. it again. Because if I were Scott, I'd be like, "Sorry, what's happening to you?" Because <laughs> I don't want to do this yeah, suit exactly. now. <laughs> Scott doesn't ask the question. Where he's like, "Wearing the suit takes a toll." I'd be like, "What kind of toll?" <laughs> Describe this more, please. How quickly does it happen? Like, do you have like a brain tumor? Or are your, your bones shorter now? Everything grew back except one kidney. It's just a real tiny yeah, jelly or bean like right now. His stomach's real small so he can only drink like a, a like a droplet of water or like his penis didn't enlarge look, again one yeah, time. I was saying, look, look, Scott, something didn't grow back. I'll tell you that right now. Something didn't go back. I'll tell to you, it might be the reason why I really didn't remarry. 
<laughs> but but they leave that vague. They also leave the village in, the vi- the village in, the villain's origin story um, a they little also, vague. The, the thing that gets me with the villain is like he goes from being like. I'm not going to listen to Hank Pym when he tells me I shouldn't do this because it's dangerous to being like, I'm selling this to Hydra. Which is exactly. Like, which is like basically Elon Musk being like, well, I figured out how to shrink stuff. I guess I'll just sell it to Al-Qaeda. You know what I mean? Like, right. there's, where's, I get that, like, you know, they're both insane rich people, but there needs to be some sort of line where all of a sudden he's like, well, I'm going to sell it to the people who are probably going to ruin the world and, like, destabilize it. And I'm going to lose all my money. Because they're also, I'm giving these to them, and then I'm like, you have to come to me to get the fuel. I think Hydra's just going to come and kidnap me and torture me to death until I give them the formula. It, it's they're not a, a great. It's not a great, well thought out plan. No, it's, it's the, the worst more, plan. <laughs> but more importantly, I, I, I'm just. I always have a problem with my. I I'm a brilliant genius. I created a mentor, or, or I, I I I adopted a mentee. Um, to, to, to teach the ways of what I do. And he became profoundly to his core evil. Yes. Why Why is that always the storyline? Because, I mean, like, the Star Wars movies tried to explain it. <laughs> you know, they tried to, like, walk you through Anakin. And even then, I, I personally didn't think it worked. No, you know what it I mean? definitely like, does not. The prequels and the terrible sequels where they try to explain why Luke gave up on a kid because he was having a nightmare. Yeah, it never <laughs> tracks with me. It never tracks with me when they, they're like, I, I, I took on a student. The student became just too, it's to his core evil. I just, I have a hard time yeah, buying see, it. I would have thought that it would have been more interesting if they had set it up that like earlier that he had created the particle and like hope steals the particle the one that this guy has and she brings it back and she's like he you know he managed to shrink a sheep he got it to work and hank like if they had had a scene where he like he dissects the particle and he's like it's unstable if you use this if a person uses it it's going to cause them to start having like a psychotic episode like it's going to cause some sort of chemical imbalance in their brain because he didn't build it right and then you find out he's been testing it, and that's why he goes insane. But he, like, basically figures it out. And all, all we know is he asked Hank about it. Hank said no, and then left the company, or the, the guy basically got him bought out of his own company. And then tried yes. to research the particle. At no point are we informed that while Hank was his mentor, he was like, well, he wanted to form it so he could commit genocide. Like, you know what I mean? There's no setup. So basically, it's just a guy who's like, this could revolutionize everything if we could figure out how to shrink stuff, which I hate to tell... This is the other thing that got me. He talks about how he can shrink uh, inanimate, like, uh, you know, not an, yeah, inanimate objects. It's like, um, that would be worth trillions upon trillions of dollars because you could shrink, you know, a semi's worth of equipment and put it in a briefcase and drive it on a bus somewhere. Right. You know what I mean? You, like you would revolutionize shipping. Yes. For one. The amount of to, fuel you. And that's save. like the we- That's like the weakest place. The, the weakest way you could use it. Because I have I have a science question. Maybe this is boring for the podcast episode, but I don't know. Take take the Thomas the train engine mm-hmm. that he throws a disc at and becomes bigger. Is there now? They 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 talk about the shrinking technology being moving the space between, between atoms. Yeah. Closer together or farther it apart. Is, it is confusing how it can make things bigger, but they have right, because to explain that because of giant. You've matter. created more matter. The 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 train toy is now made of more matter. Yes. So I guess just made, the space between the molecules is bigger. You've made more train, arguably. So if you use it on gold, would you be making more gold or bigger gold? I don't really I think it's just. Is there a difference? Gold. No, I don't but, think there is. But isn't that just more gold? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's you challenging to get your head around. He could just um, get a block of gold and basically get forty times the amount of gold or whatever, <laughs> five hundred times, and make a lot of money that way. And again, like it's so because to me, I'm just like, no, this. Imagine we ship stuff across the ocean because it's too heavy to put on a plane. It would cost too much to ship it over. You could take it all and put it on a passenger plane or just a cargo plane. And fly it over. It wouldn't take six weeks or whatever to get across the Not to mention what it would do to to just like general technology. If I could, if I could take 
like a high, uh, like a very powerful piece of machinery and shrink it down to a small piece and like install it in like another, you know, machine. Like, like it yes. completely revolutionizes technology. Yeah, I mean, it, it, just the use for cell phones. Imagine being able to take a full size computer, basically, put a screen on the outside of it, and then shrink it to the size of a phone and be yeah. like, there, you have basically a supercomputer, but it's the size exactly. of your phone. But and I don't expect the movie to hash this out, you know. But but when you leave lots of of dangling questions in an, in a movie, it makes it makes the audience constantly wondering about the limitations. I've talked about this before. I, I need even if it's in a completely fictional sense, some boundaries to the power. And and this movie has some of them. The regulator concept is really cool. The idea that. The, yeah, the device shrinks you it shrinks you so aggressively without a limitation that you could, you could go subatomic that's cool i like the idea that going big is very challenging uh uh to create more person yes <laughs> it's really difficult so that's why he, he only has a one directional shrink capacity well he has the other one you just black out when you do it you can only stay yeah, it's, conscious it's, for so long it's really intense, and they talk about that more when when you meet his he, uh, his his coworker. They, they talk about it in the sequel where they introduce. I think it was Goliath was his name in the comics. Goliath, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, in Civil War, of course, Scott does it, and he makes a reference to he's been practicing in his lab with Hank Pym to go yeah. giant, but he says he can only do it for five minutes because he passes out afterwards. So yeah, I mean, there's interesting stuff in there, but then I I don't know. The description of why Ant-Man can punch people when he's little and it hurts is very confusing to me. Because they're like, well, your mass shrinks down. But it's like, well, he can't possibly weigh the same because Hank Pym's carrying around a keychain that's a tank. A tank weighs like 20 tons. It's like a solid block of steel. So it can't maintain its its full mass and weight because it's... He would die if he tried to pick it. You know, he put that in his pants. Even they would just rip off. So there's like things like that where I'm like, well, that's confusing because he can't have the same mass as a tiny person. He would have the mass of like a bullet, which I get, but I guess the idea is it's supposed to be his muscles still have the same tensile strength or something. Yeah, there's something about the matter condensed uh, provides you with like an abundance of energy. But it also leads me to questions like, for instance, you see him. Um, shrink and jump onto the muzzle of a pistol and then run up the pistol and i was like is he faster it doesn't look like he's faster so no. wouldn't that just be as slow as it would take the distance uh, relative yeah, to like, his size like, like 100 meters the distance of the pistol yeah so it, it it'd be like they shoot and then it would, like the, the 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 action should theoretically just pause <laughs> while they're all like where is he he's like running up the yeah pistol. i was also like as he was running i was expecting the slide to go back you know because when he fire a gun the slide on an automatic pistol slides back to also make another if bomb I, come in i was waiting for that to happen and then he was gonna fly off of it like from the momentum and then also use bad, that to hit the guy also bad choice because if i'm holding a pistol and i'm shooting at you and you go small i'm still holding the pistol and, and aiming it and if i'm aiming it i'm looking right down where the- he was running. <laughs> right where he's running. anyway um but also but- i do love the amount of people who try to shoot an ant like i, I know really i think it's so funny something that small it's so funny although he, he, when he's it, running they're so close to hitting him every shot like those guys yes. should be like olympic marksmen because it would be like what happens when he shows the power to Luis in that the, the other people in the room just think he's invisible. Like They're just like, what happened to him? Or he's they gone. freak out. Yeah, because like, I, I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, do these people know that that's what What's-His-Name does? Because it seems like it's a secret. Exterior lab security? No, them. they wouldn't know. Yeah, like you know. I mean, these guys are just like random people they're employing. Yeah, that, that was a curious... Uh, little bit another thing that i found really curious i don't know we were just talking about him shrinking is when he first shrinks in his apartment and uh he like falls through the floorboard which goes all the way down to the floor below him which i was like that's not really how like ceilings and floors work even if there was like a gap you would hit the ceiling because the ceiling above should be drywall or plaster it shouldn't have holes in it but the apartment building they live in directly below scott's apartment <laughs> is a dance club and directly below that is a family like a woman with a child and she's vacuuming so there's an apartment building where it goes woman with toddler dance club 
Scott's apartment. Also, it's 4.30 in the afternoon. And this dance club is like 1 a.m. party time. And, there, and I was like, I was so confused. I'm, I'm sure, you know, when I was watching the scene, I was like, I guess they just wanted to do like a bit where he lands on a turntable. And, you know, he hits the needle and then he's running around these people's shoes and stuff. Like, I think they're just trying to come up with, like, clever things to do with his uh, trunk thing. But I was like, this is really bizarre. Like, for the first time, like, it really took me out of the movie to be like, wait, where the fuck does this guy live? (laughs) This is like, I wanted him to fall through the floor again to see what could be below her, like an aquarium. (laughs) Um... There were, Speaking another thing, though, is in this movie, when we were talking about, uh, I forget what we were talking about earlier, I meant to bring it up, I'm just going to say what I remember is, uh, this movie does something that a lot of the other Marvel movies don't do, which is, uh, he's talking to Hank Pym, and Hank Pym's explaining, you know, how they have to stop this, because if this guy makes this weapon, it'll change the world forever, basically, invisible, invisible assassins, all this stuff, and he gets done talking, and he's like, you know, this is what we need to do, and Scott's like, well here's my idea let's call the avengers like it makes sense that when presented with like somebody being like this could be the end of the world you'd be like oh can't we just call those people whose like sole job it is their whole thing like who have you know appointed themselves earth saviors and you know they make a reference to the sort of um you know the circovia yeah yeah, ultron 2 sort of avengers 2 and he brings up that he's like you know i tried to keep this tech away from uh a Stark. Tony I'm like, oh, I kind of like that's a better reason. If he had just said that, I would have appreciated that more. No, but yeah, I do like that there are tethers to the larger world. Uh, the biggest one, of course, being um, the visit to the Avengers headquarters. Yes, which... Uh, when he lands on the roof, and then Falcon lands, he's like, one of the sensors went off. What, what sensors, sensors you got? <laughs> a fucking ant? Like... You know how often he must have to fly around if it's detecting bug-sized <laughs> objects? Bugs are everywhere outside. I, I know it would otherwise spoil the fight sequence, but I was I was always annoyed that that, that uh, uh, Falcon is so easily able to follow yes. uh, uh, Scott in his, ant, in his in his shrunken form. That's kind of like the whole bit is that he becomes a, a pseudo invisible. The fact that like he's able yeah, to, like, he has those goggles which are for some reason built to find tiny people. It's very strange. Yeah, I don't I don't quite follow the logic of it, but I do like the fight sequence. In fact, generally we should talk about the fight sequences in general because there are a couple. Um, the action sequences actually keeping it vague include you know a, a, a couple like visits down tunnels with ants or flying with an ant or something but the general fight sequences with like ant-man showing his combat prowess i actually really enjoy yeah, i mean it's kind it, of cool the way when he switches from small to big and there's active. nothing like it yeah i mean with him like uh, uh uh like jumping up on people's collars and judo flipping them and then coming back into his full body size to complete the flip you know it's just yeah yeah, it's that's fluid. when he throws that guy through that window. And then, like, yes. the scenes where he's just, like, jumping off of people. And it's just, like, people reacting to being punched that there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. It's also, like, interesting but kind of funny to watch when a guy's just like, huh? And then just, like, throws his head back. And you're just like, ha you got punched by an ant. And sort of the combo of, like, starting a punch in small form and finishing it in large form. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like creating an, un- an untrackable, like, uppercut, basically. And there's a, a lot of sequences like that. And... Even though the Falcon sequence feels like um, maybe a little forced, an attempt to try and reach out to the broader MCU to to bring more than just to bring in like a B level hero in and get him sort of involved. Yeah, that was the only part that felt like it was a this guy will come back in another movie sort of thing. Otherwise, uh-huh. this movie feels very standalone. Like it was just like here's a here's a superhero. He just exists at the same time as everybody else. Yeah, it's not till later when the the technology, uh, uh, the the shrink technology becomes vital tech um, to like end game and other films. Yeah, because uh, like even when he shows up in Avengers, it's sort of just like Falcon's like, you know, Captain America's like, well, we're going to need some help if we have to go against the Avengers. And he's like, well, I know some people. And so, you know, they kind of bring in, you know, Hawkeye, uh, Scarlet Witch, and Ant-Man. And it's sort of like, well, these are the people I know who are super powered. It's not like the story was like, all right, well, Civil War is going to get to this point, and they'll have to have Ant-Man. So we have to introduce Ant-Man in an early... You know what I mean? Like, that's the way the Thor movie felt when you watch it is like, well, they just need to explain who Thor is because people are going to see this movie and you're going to be like, I don't know who Thor is. 
I know Thor is a god. Is he a god in the movies? What's with the hammer? You know? And so I feel like this movie felt like an actual just a movie. And they were like, yeah, his character will appear in the MCU. But he wasn't just put in to be like, okay, here we go. The second movie, the end of it felt very much like they just made the second movie to explain Endgame. Which is why maybe I don't like the second game, the second movie as much. Yeah, I think I can understand that. Um, so, Pogues, keeping with the the measurement that we apply to other films, uh, in keeping their origin stories under thirty minutes, this movie is not a successful uh, uh, enterprise uh, in that respect. True. Um, true. And perhaps it's part of the reason why this movie feels. I like it, but it feels um, its pacing feels odd at sometimes because you know we get heisting, we get we get all kinds of, of movement, but we don't feel like the stakes get established until until fairly deep into the movie, and even then, we then only get to the training montage basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. and then finally after that, like once the movie's like second act is like all the way over, do we actually get an Ant Man sequence? Like, like a proper yeah, Ant-Man it, sequence. And I do feel like, I wonder if it's because of the mentor storyline. Because he, or the passing the mantle kind of storyline. Because you know, right. normally in a comic book movie, he would be a scientist who created pin particles. He figures it out, and the guy he's working with is trying to steal them to sell them the Hydra, and he has to create a heist to destroy all of his own data and all this stuff. And so you'd get Ant-Man much sooner. This is, Ant-Man already exists, now this new guy's taking over, so we have to set the stakes for the old guy... The new guy, like, cause you know, what I mean, it's not just you can't just have it be like, oh no, Yellow Jacket's gonna be a thing. Let's get Scott Lang to rob him, cause he may just be like, well, I don't give a shit. I'm not going back to jail because this guy is like a crazy loon. But the the idea is like, oh, I can help. I can make it so that you can get, you know, be able to see your daughter. I'll pay you and stuff, and you'll be able to pay child support, and you'll have a way to see your daughter again. And so you get both those stories so because the movie does really set up like a lot of stuff in the beginning like they just keep it going from lot. like scene to scene where i'm like like they start in the with marvel's you know new bread and butter the de-aging technology and we get a young uh michael douglas uh, does look uh, as bad as other young versions i've seen no i feel like marvel's really cracked the younger version like they do really like you know they've done well with him Robert Downey Jr. looked a little creepy the first time they did it, but it got better later yeah. on. They've definitely gotten much better at, at de-aging people. And there's still, like, movies... I think movies in general have just gotten better at it. There was that weird one with Will Smith. Uh, Terminator Salvation had those scenes where they had the original Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I think that was, like, stock footage. So that might not have been the same. But the idea is, um, like, they've gotten better with that technology, so it's less creepy, like... Uh, Princess Leia in Rogue One and uh, the completely CGI'd human of uh, Peter Cushing. So, yeah. Yeah, those seem more jarring, but young Michael Douglas looked pretty good. And I know it's also easier, they say, when it's like an actor because they can just be like, well, we can just go back and. Right, find footage. See exactly what he be, looked like. Yeah. Which is why um, when we watched Aquaman, I always found it hilarious young version of his dad looks nothing at all like the young version of him which you can see easily in the star wars movies he's, <laughs> he's like 1200 characters i don't know how they couldn't make him look like he used to when they do the the flashback he just looks like a like a rubbery version of his old self um uh speaking of of what i assume has to be uh, uh special effects to enhance it did 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 uh did he get that cut? Did Paul Rudd get that cut? I don't remember him having. Wow, I don't remember him being shirtless. I guess I didn't pay attention. Come on, he has. Okay, so he has the uh, he has the uh, Star Lord scene where um, there's one sequence, possibly for no good reason, where he is shirtless and sort of like when ha this? half turn and posing. It's during the training montage. He is punched repeatedly. And there's a scene where he's sort of like tending to his abdomen, and his shirt is fully removed, and like there's a there's oh. a brief there's a brief no, sort I think of like he might have I, I think that's just like a Marvel thing like you got to get in shape to be a superhero. Well, well, shit! I want to do Paul Rudd's thing, even though I know it's faked in the movies to some degree. They just they just let them stop them from drinking water, so they're real vascular. Uh, oh, but... yeah, yeah. I mean, if you actually look up like the diets those people go on, and then, like there's that famous uh, Superman, his diet like. 
three days before they filmed that scene where he's shirtless in Man of Steel, he ate like it was like one ounce of lettuce and he could eat ice. And so by the time he actually goes, he's basically like emaciated and starving yeah. himself to death. And then you work out for an hour and then they film the scene. Like you cannot like the way they look, you can't look like that normally. You have to do, like starve yourself and then work out a lot to make your muscles expand. And then like 15, 20 minutes later, you won't look like that anymore. So it's insane. But yeah, I guess that's, I, I, I missed this scene. I don't really remember it. Was he that ripped? Yeah, I mean, he's... He, I mean, he's, you saw Kamel Neon Johnny. It's true. It's true. Is it, it's is ridiculous. Is it that unlikely they made Paul Rudd do some sit-ups? I mean, he, he doesn't have, like, the level of bulk, but he is lean. It's impressive. Uh, it's impressive. Um, uh, what was... But uh, the, the, the montage sequence, even though it does belay or does delay the reveal or the full Ant-Man experience, I will say it works because I really like Lang, Pym, and Hope their chemistry as a, mm-hmm. as a trio is phenomenal the whole way through, which I think is one of the reasons this movie stands up on its own, because that's a lot of the film is that uh, hopes distaste for Scott and, and um, Hank Pym's sort of um, curmudgeonly ways. And of course, Scott's like loose, affable, jokey nature. It's just a good, it's a good trio. It works. Good, good stew going in there. Yeah. I think also, I don't know how many scenes you could do with him being small. Before it would just start to feel very repetitive. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, you can only have him escape or break into something so many times in one movie. And I don't know if there would have been enough, like, extra fight scenes they could have done. So I think they sort of did interesting stuff where he fights Falcon. And you kind of see how he can use his powers. And then you get the actual, like, heist fight scene later on. And I think that's, like, enough. Because the rest, like, the end of the movie is just them small fighting each other for a while. Yeah, there's also one bit I wanted to call attention to that I think is my favorite every time it's done, even if it's done a lot, which is the 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 zoom out on the small action makes me yes. laugh every time. Every yeah. time to to have this like climactic scene of them like tumbling around in a briefcase while they're having hand to hand combat with lasers, and then just zoom out, and it's just a swirling briefcase going pew pew. Like it just yeah. it gets me every time. It's oh, the, such the a best good way one to film is when the train goes to hit Yellowjack, <laughs> yeah. and he like screams as if like he realizes he's about to be hit by a real train. Yeah, and then they cut to that wide shot, and you just see a little toy train fall off. I was like, that's pretty clever. Whoever came up with that idea? No, it's. I think it was so good they had to put it in one of the trailers. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, um, yeah, it was definitely early in. But yeah, the fight sequences are great. It also led me to a question: like, why not lasers, though? As I often ask, why not lasers, Hank? Like, yeah. why is your suit devoid of lasers and also metal? Like, as far as I can tell, the Ant-Man suit <laughs> is just rubber. It's like you said, it's like a motorcycle jacket. It's just it's like a motorcycle a jacket. Suit. Like, yeah. why? Like, you used it for crime fighting. Like, if there was an well, argument I where think... he's like, I don't want to weaponize my tech, but I'm like, you did, though. You used it for well, crime I think, fighting. Well, uh, I think the idea is, one, he built his in the 70s. Sure. So it's very dated. But two is the idea, I think... I mean, one, it's like to try to capture the original Ant-Man kind of costume. Of course. And update it. But I think the idea is supposed to be is he purposely didn't want to build a weaponized suit because he was afraid of other people using the tech. Because uh, Wasp, we find out, has weaponized tech. Because when she lands on the thing, she shoots a laser out of her hand, which is... The wasp power in the comics is the wasp sting, as they call it. She can shoot a laser, like a charged laser bolt out of her hands, out of this, like, gauntlet she wears. And so it's like, he does. But for some reason, Pym just never weaponized his own suit. He just relied on the fact that he could shrink and use ants. It's a, it's odd, but I guess that was just the idea. I mean, how is he firing a machine gun with any accuracy when he's the size of an ant? Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I'm constantly wondering about like the the breadth of the technology. Like, if you threw like the shrink disc at something that was like larger than the disc, like, is part of it gonna shrink? I, I'm no, it shrinks like, whatever it hits. It's 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 a confusing thing, but I, I you really can't apply too much to it. Uh, yeah, it also did. It. it didn't really explain like does the disc does it have like a liquid inside of it that you have to like break? Because they I think it's throwing. I think them, it's like, pin particles. Stars. I think it's yeah, but how do they get it. out when they hit something? Because you're uh, holding it and it's not doing anything. So something must make it leak the pin particles. 
I guess I guess it just breaks. This is fragile. Um, yes, yeah, which um, is a um, horrible thing to carry on your person. You yeah, know, you get is. punched and you land on your like hip, and they break, and all of a sudden you're a giant. A moment that I also was was curious about was when they're stuck. When Hank and Hope are stuck in the vault, he produces this keychain that's a real tank, not a, uh, a little keychain, which I thought was a great bit. But I wondered, like, the vault they're in is certainly smaller than the tank. Yes, and so, it's also made of steel. Yeah, I, I'm, not sure I'm not sure I understood his the, their method of exit. Uh, maybe they got out and then activated the tank? Yeah, I it's think. confusing, but if they were to have enlarged the tank inside the vault, I think it would have just destroyed both the tank and the vault. Yeah, I think because, it, would like, a, a, it would be an object expanding inside of a object that's like impervious. You know, it's built to be really hard to break. So one of them would shatter, or both of them would like crumple, and then he wouldn't be able to get out. So I think, yeah, they were supposed to be they got out of the vault and then turned it into a tank and just drove it out of the building. Also, the Hydra agents in that final sequence are super lame. It's just like two it's just like two bureaucrats that just kind of like yeah, cave. The, the guy the is like a middleman, and then the people from Hydra he bought are like from Hydra's business branch, you know? Like it's like he brought uh, what the Tomax and Zotan or whatever his name was, <laughs> the, the, the two twins from G.I. Joe who like run a company and they work for Cobra and somehow G.I. Joe could never tell they're the two people they fight. Every time they see them in suits, they're like, listen here. I'm like, they're clearly terrorists. <laughs> they're, they look just like the twins. They finish each other's sentences. Just arrest them. They're criminals. Uh, during the finale sequence, there's a couple of moments that I, I like I, I well a quick note first. I thought the casting of Scott's daughter Cassie was also great because I found her adorable in every yes, scene. Yes, she's, she's a in. very adorable little girl, and she's actually a pretty good actress for yeah. someone her age. She's got decent delivery for being that young, and she's really yeah. adorable in this one and the second one, like the montage of Scott and her like dealing with his uh, his house arrest. Um, mm-hmm. She's really entertaining, and I, I like her in everything. I will say sh- the character uh, Cassie would have profound would have, have profound mental distress because she watched a man like collapse in on oh, himself. Oh yeah, she <laughs> mean a man's arm disintegrate into his own body as he was ripped into a tiny glowing ember? Yeah, it's horrifying. That girl would never also like she was almost kidnapped and murdered. Yeah. And she saw an ant become full size. I, I don't care That's if you're like nothing to her. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't care if you're like a cool, a cool person who's like, oh, I'm not scared of a spider. Like, I'm not super scared of spiders in the right context, as long as they're not like suddenly upon me. Um, I'm not scared of spiders as long as they're nowhere near me and I never have to see them. But if one was suddenly made to be dog sized in front I of would me, kill I, yeah. <laughs> I would just exactly. be like, it's not a world I want to live in anymore. <laughs> I didn't yeah. like them when I could step on them. Really upsetting. Really, really upsetting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That. Ugh grotesque uh were you at all moved by the death of antony i uh, know that that felt like uh josh whedon came in to guest write a scene and was like somebody <laughs> i can kill real quick i mean it's fine but like i guess it's supposed to be like he had some sort of connection but in my mind i'm like i hate to be a dick dude but they're ants they live like two weeks yeah like, i don't even think antony could have lived long enough for this training montage they ants don't live super long yeah, kind of a weird twisted irony is right after finishing this movie and then going upstairs to make dinner, I noticed that I had some ants near my sink and I had to kill them. And I yes. did not feel emotion about it. <laughs> yeah, because you're like, goddamn fucking ants. Stay they the fuck out of my here. house. <laughs> like, stay outside and I won't kill you. You're breaking the deal. Yeah, um, it is like sort of weird because ants are technically a pest. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't like mice. Another you know, question for cute, you, but I don't want them in my fucking house. <laughs> Another question for you: How does Scott get back from the subatomic range? He puts one of the embiggening uh, <laughs> disc into the regulator, and when he closes it and pushes it, it makes him big again. I don't totally get it. I was confused why he didn't keep growing. But yeah, that too. What is he? Also, is I he... felt like really makes Pim's wife kind of look like a dumb dumb. It does, right? If she didn't, unless maybe they didn't have access to those back then. I don't think they had the disc. He does mention they're a new invention, but I I also don't know what 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 is stopping them from going big again once they're gone subatomic. Cuz the once you 
ghosts of a time you're turning off the regulator and like i think it's once you shrink down the device that turns you back to normal can't do it because you're too small i think they don't explain it well but my idea my assumption is you have to turn your regulator off and it allows you to shrink and once you do it you can't turn it back on like once you disable the safety protocol that's it it can never be turned back on so i think it just stops working it only goes one direction then not like the band, but just like... <laughs> that, that was my assumption, but it, you are right. It's very vague. Also, how just putting that thing in there and closing his belt would suddenly make it work is also vague. Well, and that's the thing, and I'm not expecting them to explain science. I don't even think... I, I don't want them to try and define all the little metrics of the power, obviously, even though I make jokes about it. But I feel like when he had a moment like that, there has to be a sequence where he reaches for something and you and the audience go, aha, he figured it out. Or amazing. Yeah, or, and then you 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 connect the same dots Scott does. You know, you know what I mean? There's like moments in that in yeah. movies where the character realizes something and then you and the eyes are like, oh, or maybe you thought about it before if you're clever. Whatever. But you make the connection too, and you go, aha. But there's no connection to be made. He's like, I'm just gonna grab this piece of MacGuffin tech that you don't totally get how it works, and I'm gonna put it in the other thing you don't know how it works, and now I'm fine. And that's Fine, it's a serviceable solution to the problem, but it's also a little lazy. Yeah, like, it would have made more sense. There's a scene earlier in the movie where they explain uh, subatomic. You know, they have to, you know, slowly build to it. And he says, oh, if you tamper with the regulator, you could, you know, go subatomic and you just disappear forever or whatever. I think it would have been more interesting if Scott just kept messing with the regulator. Like, they showed him, like, when, you know, that he was, like, moments alone, him, like, going over and like drawing like a diagram of something and then have it be like in that moment after he shrinks and he's there he like pulls you know something out of his bag like you know he has like a palm pilot with him or something you know and he starts plugging stuff in to be like yeah he he was working on a way to maybe go subatomic and come back he never tested it obviously because if it's wrong he's gone but now he's in that moment and have him test it and be like you know, putting it in and then firing it and it works. I think that would have been more interesting because it is very confusing. He just puts that thing and I'm like, well, do you need to push the regulator? Couldn't you just throw it at yourself? Like, I still don't understand how those things work. So it just felt like, yeah, just hit yourself with it. This isn't climactic at all. Yeah, and again, it's perfectly serviceable as a plot device for ending the film, but it also, it just it just doesn't quite feel as, uh, as deep as it could be to watch Scott, like, achieve a level of cleverness that would put him at odds with um with with the original hank pym it just seems like he just like yeah. it just seems like he he fumbles into a solution that for no conceivable reason works which is fine but not the best way to end the yeah film. and then it would have been more because then the second like the setup in the second movie like i mean as soon as he goes subatomic and comes back at no point too during even the first movie when they're like well she went subatomic she's dead i was like well clearly she's not dead She's just in wherever you go when you get really small. Like, they're not going to have killed her off. That's, like, the perfect sequel. Find her mom, you know? And then you get to bring back Janet Van Dyne, and, you know, there you go. So it wasn't, like, ever surprising. So it just felt like it was in service of, like, if if or if uh, Scott had figured something out while he was there, you know, and he came back, it would have almost been more interesting had he been, like... You know, I'll come back and we can start working on this. Maybe there's a way to get into the subatomic world and find your wife. You know, and then yeah. the second movie wouldn't have had to start with the idea that, like, yeah, that's just the conceit. We're, we're doing that now. You know what I mean? And you're just like, oh, okay, I guess we're doing that now. That's our thing. So, yeah. Uh, did you have any other notes? I was just running off some of the last notes I had. Uh the last note I had was more just one of those things where uh, I was confused about the exist the the like there's like a in the climax there's a couple of confusing things like you mentioned the tank how they get out but the police show up because they get a notice that Hank Pym is Scott's lawyer and they're gonna go arrest him which I'm like that's you can't arrest somebody for pretending to be a lawyer I don't think. I mean, I don't. I don't really know if that's a crime. It sounds like uh, a crime. Does it? Just to, I guess maybe. Um, but he could. I think he also could have just showed up and been like, "I want to talk to him," and they would have let him. But also, I don't know where, what city were they in. Maybe you can represent yourself. You don't need a. You don't need to have passed the bar. But 
the police decide that they're going to go to this, like, confusing black tie event that's going on at uh, Cross Technologies or whatever, which appears to be, like, some sort of party where he's selling the thing he's supposed to be promoting to terrorists. Which seems like you wouldn't want people to witness that. You wouldn't want to invite people to a thing where you are like, look at these terrorists, I'm definitely going to sell them some weapons. But also, Hank only is going because he was invited the night before when Cross showed up to kill him but realized Hope was there and couldn't do it in front of her. And so he invites him to the thing to kill him then. How? Why would the police just assume he was going to be at this thing? And how do they even know this event's happening? And like, there's just yeah. so many questions to be like, Wait, why wouldn't they have just driven to his house? Like the cops following him, him is also the home he lives in. Undercooked, like they yeah, they ca- they're, they ca- they're so pointless. They catch that Scott was was uh, was was met with a false lawyer, which was Hank Pym, which is curious. And then they do no work, and then they yes. find Hank later on at that event, and then they disappear again, uh, except for like the whole thing with Cassie's kidnapping. Um, also, I yeah, feel so- like if a person disappeared from prison like a jail cell just straight up disappeared and the lock wasn't picked it was closed i think that like the entire police force and like every news outlet would be covering the man who just disappeared from prison yeah it'd be a big deal he straight up is just gone it's weird um and they seem like nonchalant like well we're looking for him you know you're just like oh that's it you're just looking for him Another question I have for you. One last question I had for you, Pokes, is um, if you're an eccentric, if you're an eccentric scientist, how many secret rooms in your house is too many secret rooms? I'll give you the answer. There's never too many secret rooms. <laughs> because I love. That I want he has a secret a... room inside my secret room. He has a special secret vault hidden behind a secret door, and mm-hmm. then he has an adjacent secret laboratory. We learn about later. Which and then my has... question was. Was that laboratory in his house, or was it in a separate building somewhere? I don't know. Because it, it's, like, in, like, this sterile white environment. And I was like, I don't think you could build that near his home. Like, we're... We also get a scene of him... The basement looked pretty musty. In a, bu- in a bunker room with a whole, like, mess of screens. Mm-hmm. Which I have to only assume, since he doesn't have, like, a company or a property, that that's also in his basement. As yeah, I mean, is... Could- as is the secret room where he has kept the wasp costume to then reveal to Hope. Like, oh, yeah. Which there is must be more secret reveal. rooms. <laughs> like, my, I guess my only thought is maybe it is a building because in the second movie, remember, he carries around Pym Enterprises. Mm. And he just blows it up when he needs to go inside of it. That's true. That's got to be what it is because it seems so odd that he would have that, that many secret rooms. I don't have one. Which is a real shine of my, sign of my wealth. The 1% get to have, fuck, 10. Well, here's what you do, Bullshit. Ben. You just seal off a door that goes into a room, and you make a hole through the other wall. Boom, secret room. Oh, my God. You've just cracked I've it. got six of them. <laughs> my whole house is secret rooms. You just walk in, and it's a foyer with just blank walls. Good luck figuring out where to go, Ben. Uh, my last note is the best line in the movie is, but there was one Rothko that was sublime, bro. Uh. Yes. <laughs> All right, real quick, we got to go over one more time. The recaps of, all right, Michael Pena's introduction when they're driving and he's like talking about his girlfriend dumped him and Mm -hmm. he's like, yeah, my mom died. My dad got deported. But I got the van. I got the van. His his (laughs) delivery is so good. And then when he's recounting his stories, they are, I don't know who wrote those, how much of it was like, the writing and how much of it is just his insane delivery of like talking about like how he's at a wine tasting and you know he doesn't like reds and like all this stuff and then he's at the art gallery and you know modern art's not really his thing just his delivery and like cutting between stuff is uh, amazing yeah i I, I really wouldn't i wish he had been in it more i would like to know how much is improvised and how much is is i do wonder that it does seem really hard to script it to be that, like, that casual. I wonder uh, how, like, if it was just, like, scripted to be, like, you know, he those lines, but then the way he, like, cuts and delivers them. Because it's, it's all in his, like, weird delivery. And like you said, every time they cut back to him, he just has this goofy face on where he's just got, like, this real, like, just 
sincere, happy smile that he just always has. I'm saying is I want a spinoff. Yeah, I would take it. I would take it. Yeah. Like he sets up heroes for hire or something. <laughs> yes, actually. Fuck, that's good. Wait a minute. Hold on. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I think that's... I mean, they tried it with the Defenders, and it did not go no, well. No, it didn't did not really go well. They set up heroes for hire, right? But bring in Luke Cage. He was good. The guy who yeah. Daredevil was good. And then recast Iron Luis, Fist somebody who knows how to act. Lu- Luis trying to, like, give them the backstory for the mission they're about to go on while they're all in the oh, van. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, him trying to explain anything to Matt Murdock and Luke Cage? <laughs> yeah, I need this. I need this. <laughs> it would be amazing just to watch their, like, no-nonsense having to deal with him explaining how he was downtown getting a bagel and he overheard... Uh, I don't know. I have no way to end that story. All right. <laughs> no, it's phenomenal. Well, um, I think that covers it. Again, just just because uh, we always end this way. Uh, this is a movie that I recommend. In fact, I actually specifically recommend it to anyone that hasn't seen it since it came out. I think I enjoyed it more than I did the first time. I don't, I don't know exactly why, but I did. Yeah, I would definitely recommend this movie. I think as far as, like, Marvel's sort of filler movies you know i hate to say that because some of them are straight fillers and some of them are just movies but i would say sort of for it's like here's a movie while we work on the next avengers i think this is maybe one of the the best ones um just because it's just fun to watch like you're not gonna watch it like i said and be like what a masterpiece but you're gonna laugh and it's not super long which is also a benefit um so yeah, I'd recommend watching it. And like you said, I watching it again. I don't think I've seen it. In, I don't know, three three years. When did Endgame come out? Like two years ago, a year ago. I don't, time no longer has any meaning. <laughs> exactly. I think I watched it when I watched all the Marvel movies before I saw. Well, I think I did that before I watched Infinity War. So yeah, so it's been three or four years since I've seen it. And watching it again, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like. I really, I didn't even, I told Ben, I had almost no notes. And part of that was just because I was like, just enjoying watching the movie. I was just sitting there being like, yeah, this is pretty funny. Yeah. After some things took place, I had to stop and like, and then just like write my thoughts down because I didn't want to miss stuff while I was trying to take notes. So yeah, I totally get what you mean. Yeah. So there we go. It's it's a double, it's a double recommend, guys. Super, super wow. uncommon in, uh, in our line of work here. Maybe it's more common than we think. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. We we should. We don't. We don't catalog that data. How often me and Ben agree on a movie? Nope. That would be difficult to keep keep track of. I'd have to listen to episodes, and I'm not doing it. Ben, there's only a hundred ten, eleven. I don't know what episode number we're on. It's okay, guys. I'm only in charge of labeling them. Uh, All right, well, fine. That'll be it. This oh, this knows for myself then. Uh, ben liked it. Pogues liked it. There we go. Yeah, also, we'll ha- start ending oh. every every episode like that, so you can just listen to the last thirty seconds. Also, how's the future, Ben? Is it better now? 